1: Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
2: As always, great to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. And appropriately, at this time of the year, with the finals just behind us, we talked to a great finals player, a great player in the game. Played 223 games for two clubs in itself. That is a great story. His name is Luke Ball, and he's with me in the studio. Ball, welcome.
0: G'day, Pete. Yeah, great to uh, be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me in.
2: How are you travelling?
0: Yeah, really well. Yeah, great. It is a it's a great time of year, isn't it? Yeah. Um you know, I'm currently working out at the Bombers, so not involved, uh not 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 a live chance, but uh it is a just a fantastic time of year to be in Melbourne, isn't it? It's the it's the business end of the season. It is the uh, the time of the year as a as a player or as an ex player you miss, um having been lucky enough to experience it uh, you know, a few times. I guess still having a you know a bit of a relationship with some of the guys that are that are still involved. You know, you're excited for them.
2: What's your take on the Bombers' season? Pass mark?
0: Oh yeah, probably. Interestingly, yeah, I, it's a funny one. It, it, it's it's if you had have asked, um, I think everyone at the start of the year probably had them finishing around that six to twelve mark, um, depended on a bit of luck, and uh, that's how it that's how it ended up. Um, you know, scraped into the finals, which which for a, a pretty young group um, was was great. You know, albeit. Um, a disappointing finish, uh, you know, and to get beaten by a team. And, and, you know, I I think in fairness, um, the Eagles, certainly at home, you know, last year's premiers um, generally would be considered a top four team. So on the one hand, it's disappointing because you come up well short. You do get a look at the level you need to get to, um, certainly, as I said, as as a pretty young group. And even on the night... Um, you know the, the the difference in average games between the 22 that ran out was significant. Um, you never want to use that as an excuse because when you get those opportunities, you've got to treat them like it might be your last one. Um, but there were realities around around experience and 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 you know just games played, and that showed I thought on the night. The only way to uh, to improve that is is by getting out there and playing games like that, and and I've got no doubt that you know guys like McGrath and Parrish and and Langford and and McKenna, Sard these sort of guys who who still are you know short of of coming into their real prime as a footballer, um, will, will get benefit out of playing games like that.
2: I know what you're hoping, but what are you thinking when you walk in the door next year? Do you think you'll be seeing Joe Danaher in the locker room, or do you think he might be somewhere else?
0: Uh, I look at it. I mean, I I I move clubs. I was as a player who who. You know, set out in their career, really only contemplating being a one club player. And you know, as you when you start, um, you've you've sort of mapped out your own journey and you know your you crystal ball in a sense. But and clearly things change. And he's had a really tough couple of years. And um, I've been able to empathise with him a little bit, especially with the injuries that he's had to deal with. Um, and they're frustrating and they're debilitating. And and it's not like a broken bone that heals so you can you can you know, can come back and and I you know, feel really confident about going forward it is a really frustrating and debilitating injury that he's had to deal with hopefully now he's coming out of it um so i completely understand that that he just wants to um get himself back out on the park and, and run around and be free to to enjoy footy it's a really hard thing to do when you when you're going through that that injury is is just to enjoy and remember what it was like just to play with freedom so um yeah, I think you, you think you summed it up. I'm hopeful he, he's such a highly uh, respected and liked figure within the club. Um, there'd be clearly a hope that he stays, but um, having been through that and and having you know gone through the process of changing teams, um, I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised, or I wouldn't hold it against him if he decided he wanted a fresh start. But we were obviously really hopeful that he that he stays. He's got family links at the club. 3 years ago he's a best and fairest player all Australian um I think we forget sometimes after you know a couple of rough years forget how how good a player he was and he's only I think 25 I think so oh. still got a lot of great footy um left ahead of him but I think, I think sometimes too as an industry we we um are a little bit flippant about um how easy it it is to change teams it's 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 really not and when you've established relationships with with um a certain group over a period of time, you know, seven or eight years. It's a massive call to go and and have to re um, establish reestablish yourself at a new group of players. And I was about the same age as him when I moved and um sometimes we're a bit flippant about, oh yeah, he's going, he's gonna go, you know, he'll go, he'll he'll go for X amount or he'll um, you know, go because he's got more opportunity there. It is a really big decision for a for a player to make but um he'll take his time and make the best decision for him.
2: We'll talk more about your transition later in the program. The other thing that's happening at Tullamarine is, uh, if you like, the Kirribilli arrangement um, mm-hmm. that Wusher is going to hand over to the truck, Ben Rutten. Now, you're probably qualified to talk on this, Bully, because you've been part of one Kirribilli arrangement that probably yeah. didn't work all that well a few years ago. Is it going to work at Bomberland a bit better?
0: Oh, we hope so. Yeah, you're right. I, I lived through the, the, the Mick and Buck's um, arrangement, which, yeah, which... Um Probably for a variety of reasons, didn't didn't work out. Um, I, I was, you know, I had a great relationship with both of them, um, and still do. So um, you know, it wasn't a matter of, of taking sides or anything like that. Um, at the time, I was disappointed. I was sad that it didn't it didn't work out because Mick was great for me uh, in my first couple of years at Collingwood, and as I said, I had um, so much admiration and respect for Bucks in in you know in the other in the in uh, in my time playing under him as well so um, you could argue that there's a bit of risk to it um but i know and it's pretty fresh isn't it off the yeah, we, as we talk it's pretty mm. pretty sort of fresh off the, off the press but um i'm you know really confident that uh that the the, the people in charge that have made the decisions have, have really um considered it over a period of time and uh, and ultimately it does come down to the people who are involved and and you know I've Worked with Wusha for a year and a half, two years now, and um, I'm just so impressed about about him him as a person, and and you know he's he's so strong in his values, and um, if he's, I'm really confident that if he's been brought along with you know the the decision making process, which I'm sure he has, um, that that he'll give it the best opportunity to work, and and um, it's a great opportunity for for Ben. It's a you know real. Um, voter confidence for him again this year I've been really impressed with with him as a young coach as well. He's he's young, but he's hungry, he's driven, wants to really improve. He's a relationship coach, um, which we know is critical these days. So I you know, sitting here, it's as I said, it's pretty fresh off the press, but I'm I'm excited, um and I know the players are as well about the opportunity that it presents.
2: What did you make of all the talk, and you sit beside Woosher on the bench, the fact that he was seen to be very passive, especially in that famous game against the Western Bulldogs, where it was just it was a complete aberration. Yeah. Um, was, but he was seen to be not reacting to anything. Yeah. But that's just Woosher, isn't it? That's it is, That's his personality.
0: Yeah. yeah, that one was, I mean, I'm not sure what they wanted him to do that day. of sure, yeah. running out on the field and pulling his boots on and Belt maybe, someone maybe, maybe the belting air. someone like he used to do back in the day. <laughs> uh, you know, it is, yeah. And um I going back, I think to to make the decision to go down there in the first place as a coach who'd coached for fifteen years, three over three hundred games, premiership at, at you know at the West Coast Eagles, to make that decision was, was significant, I thought, um, initially. And um I know the players really enjoyed it. And part of it was forced a little bit through the the, the changes around the runner and we saw a lot of clubs across the year resort to that, so certainly having a coach presence, um, senior coach presence down on the bench, um, just to be able to cope with that, to make sure that the players were, were getting the messages and crystal clear, and um, the players, to a man, enjoyed having him down there, but as you said, that, that was him, he's never been a ranter and raver, and you know, I remember even playing against the Eagles and watching watching on uh, as he coached them in the box through through all those years, I, I can't ever recall him losing his cool, um, it's one of his great strengths of his, as a coach, and um, you know, coming down from the box to the bench, I don't think it was ever going to change that. So, and I don't think that serves any purpose, you know, ranting and raving um, when you've got young players who you're trying to to coach through really high pressured moments during a game. So, uh, I thought it was a, it was a good story, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it sort of um, when it was a, it was a horrible performance. We 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 knew that from from um, from the club, but from the team rather on the on the on that night that it became a bit of a talking point. But I think it was just that. I think it blew over pretty quick.
2: We'll talk about your football journey more when we come back on the other side of the break. But one last thing before the break. That draft, everybody still talks about it now. It was only a couple of weeks ago that Hodgie yeah. decided that enough was enough and he did it in true Hodgie style. I was up at the Gabba that night and we were waiting for him to be chaired off. It's just not his way. What a champion of the game.
0: Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I I played, uh, I played an under-12 rep team with um, a little, little podgy kid from Colac back in the day and um I mean it sounds easy to say now but you could tell he he just did have even a presence about him then which sounds funny he was captain of that team um you know how do you pick a captain in under 12s so He just had a presence about him then and um and then went all the way all, all the way through with him both cricket and footy and um and yeah I've just it just loved watching him and although the one thing I would say about 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 your comment there. It was that I, I got the sense that he was a little bit embarrassed having having had the send-off that he did at Hawthorne a couple of years ago. Maybe so, yeah. At, at Marvel Stadium where um, I was honoured and privileged enough to be involved in that, to come in and, and have a quick interview with him after that last game. Perhaps he was feeling a little bit embarrassed about uh, about that. But, no, what, a, what an amazing career and such an enviable resume, isn't it? But he's... Um, um, and even just the, clearly the legacy now he's had on on the lines over the last couple of years is is um, you know if there was ever any doubt about about his place in the game prior to going there um, he's he's um, he's put those to bed now hasn't he by by the way he's finished so uh, yeah I, I read yeah he so um, Hodgie and and little Gary the last two left from that draft now and mm. um, as we sit here now the the prelim final tonight Geelong v Richmond. Who knows, you know, there's been times this year where you where he's looked like he could go for another three years, gazette, but um
2: and then there's been times where he couldn't make the distance from forty five metres yeah. out and that's something that you'd be well acquainted with yeah, too because yeah. you know, that indicates groins and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, it's a young
0: man's game, it really yeah. is, you know, unless you're unless you're um pretty special, which we know who he is. So we'll see, uh we'll see you after tonight and I and, you know, for his sake hopefully the following week, and I'm sure I'm sure if they got through and saluted, that'd be a reasonable way to go out. But it probably is fitting that that uh, that he's the last man standing in a sense.
2: 2001, that famous draft. We'll talk more about that, the beginnings of your football journey, when we come back on the other side of the break. Great to have Luke Ball with me on this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers' funeral, celebrating lives. More with Balli coming up after the break.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: What a great pleasure it is to have Luke Ball as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. All right, we've spoken about that 2001 draft. Everybody does. You'll forever be linked with Hodgie and, and Juddy and...
0: That great year yeah, i think but, for I think for most of us it's it's nice just to be able to to, to jump on the back of a bus <laughs> isn't it yeah with Hodge and Jordan Ablett and a few others driving it's nice to uh it's nice to be associated with them
2: but it was always going to be footy for you bulie wasn't it because it, it was basically in your dna yeah
0: it was yeah I, I, yeah I love loved all sports growing up, but you know very earliest memories of um of had a couple of uncles that played for Hawthorne in the eighties where they were a powerhouse back then and Peter Russo and, and then um John Kennedy Junior who married uh, my my mum's younger sister and uh we're still very close to them now. We we gr- basically grew up with them, so Josh Josh being my first cousin at you know, captain of the swans. Um used to head out to Waverley whenever they were playing, they're playing a home game there and um and watch the, the mighty hawks, I had number twenty three on the on my jumper and I think I had a little blonde, sort of curly mullet too early <laughs> early on. I've seen a few photos so Did you do
2: the chicken walk at all?
0: Possibly. I I, I would have practised it, I'm I'm sure. Um, But, yeah, it was Dunstall and and Brereton and then, um, you know, Platten and and, uh, uh, Anthony Condon and Darren Jarman. Uh, They, you know, what an amazing team. Chris Langford, um, you know, right through that sort of – I mean, I was born in 84, so got the latter end of that that period. And I was at the 89 grand final. I don't remember it. I just remember – the crowd reaction at the end, you know, and and sort of not being able to see and trying to stand up in my, my seat, which you know the wooden benches those days, yeah. at the MCG. Um, Ninety one was at at Waverley. I didn't get to that one, but I remember watching that. And and at times not being able to watch. I think Mum tells me now I was one of those really nervous watchers as a kid. And the games got close. Well, I'd um I'd I'd run into my room and hide and, until the final siren went and, and and you know ask who'd won, but. So I always loved footy, and, and lucky I had a you know had an older brother um, who loved footy as well, and so we yeah we just um, you know kicked the footy in the backyard like so many others did until uh, until it was time to go to bed.
2: Did it always seem as though you were going to St Kilda, or did you feel as though you might have been heading somewhere else?
0: Uh, no, it didn't. I, really, only the night before got confirmation. Um, you know, as a seventeen year so back then you could be drafted as a seventeen year old. They've since since amended that, so you have to be eighteen. So I was just finishing year eleven. Um so that in itself, that decision, um, you know, was it was a tough one to make whether to, to, to hold back a year, but um, in the end decided that, you know, who knows what can happen the year after, you can hurt yourself or whatever can happen. So um decided to nominate as a seventeen year old. Um with a preference to stay in in Melbourne and finish year 12, the year after at Xavier College, which, you know, where I'd been since since grade five. So mum and dad were pretty strong on that. Um, I didn't care as much, obviously, uh, but I do. I mean, I remember having, you know, I think the Eagles and the Dockers both had early picks. I remember having, I think it was Bush's first year, actually. I remember him him coming over and sitting in the front room and talking to mum and dad about it. And uh, Chris Conley, I think, was the free coach at the time. So he, him doing the same thing and mum and dad probably telling them, trying to ward them off off picking their, their son because, you know, they wanted him to stay home and, and finish year 12. But, I, you know, of course, I would have happily gone. But uh, as it turned out, um, yeah, the Saints had, had two early picks and Grant Thomas, you know, had been appointed coach the year before and um, the year before oh, – sorry, the night before the draft. Sorry, firstly, John Turnbull rang to let us know that the Hawks were going to take – they were going to take Luke Hodge and then mm-hmm. Johnny Beveridge rang and said, oh, don't worry, we'll, um, we'll call your name out of pick two. So – I'm sure that would have been a huge weight off mum and dad's mind. It was still nerve wracking going along until you till you hear your name read out, but my rabbit was just down the road.
2: Did you feel that pressure to perform because of all of the headlines that had gone along with that draft?
0: Yeah, I did. I, I was a I was a kid who naturally put a lot of pressure on myself um anyway from a really early age, to the point where you know, even going right back, my my footy career almost didn't get off the ground and he, and the under nines, um such as my, I guess, performance anxiety back then that that mum and dad actually pulled me out of out of the season after round two. I just I'd go to a I'd go to the game and not want to get out of the car. I'd be so nervous and anxious about about playing and and wanting to play well even as an under nine under ten. So as you got a bit older, I, you know, I learned to to cope with that just through playing sport over the years, growing up to that point. So wouldn't be alone there always put pressure on yourself to do well and then that first year was so I was still at school um I had a struggling with a few injuries and and you know about half by that stage um Jard and Hodge were playing and and making it a pretty strong and not just them others um you know Bartell and and uh and even at St Kilda Nicky Del Santo um Matt had got drafted with me so yeah, th- there was a bit of pressure early on, and the great thing was that, that the coach and and the club at the time were pretty strong on on just being patient and trying to relieve any of that pressure and be patient, get through this year, and you know then you'll be able to hop into the, to the next year with with some clean air and um that was great because it was a, it was a it was a tough year but but looking back it was a great year and I finished school um you know with my mates who I'd been all the way through with. They let me play cricket, you know, which I loved at the time. Um and I played a few games in the reserves towards the end. But then and you know, obviously finished V C E and then got through the year and, and then sort of jumped into the, the, the following season. So I was still I was still a fair way behind, obviously the guys that had, had a pretty well almost a fork And Judy hadn't missed or might have only missed one or two games mm. in his first year, Hodgie the same. So it did make me determined though to to start that next year. Um you know, really strongly.
2: Speaking of V C E you were a pretty handy student, weren't you? Didn't you get some good marks?
0: I uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did. I got some got some good marks.
2: To find good.
0: It was up it was up in the high nineties, I think, Pete. Yeah. A bit smart to be a footballer, well, aren't you? <laughs> and I knew mum and dad had sacrificed a fair bit a fair bit to, to put me into a you know, put me through a they'd obviously prioritise that and put me put me through a great school. So yeah, part of it you want to do as well as you can and, and not not uh, leave thinking that you could have done better. So, as I said, the club were great, allowing me to finish that year as well.
2: Saints were on the verge of graduating too as you made your way into the team because they were emerging. And then 2004, it was so close. It could have been. The drought could have been over that year.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we were... I want to say, we were the, the group of young guys coming through. Um, We had a great group of older players. You know, Harves, Rob Harvey was probably mid thirties by then but still going beautifully and Andrew Thompson, Stevie Powell, Fraser Gehrig, Aaron Hamill, but then guys like Brett Voss and, and um Stevie Lawrence, you know, Heath Black. Great guys to learn from as a younger group coming through, um, in terms of, you know, just work ethic, training ethic, um, uh, but are just the way the way they played as well. Um, you learnt pretty on that if you you know, if you weren't gonna Go when it was your turn to go. You know, it didn't matter about your birth certificate. If you weren't going to to do that, you weren't going to play in their team. And um, you know, I think we, as a young group, complemented that senior group. And uh, as you said, that was coming off the the that was coming to the end of the Lions dynasty. But Port Adelaide oh. were a sensational team then as well. I think they were minor premiers a few times, and but and, you know took them until 2004 to salute. So yeah, so that year we. Um, uh, well, we got beaten by a kick. We went over to yep. Port Adelaide. No one really gave us a chance. Fraser Gary kicked his hundredth goal halfway through the first quarter. Um, we jumped them. You know we were we were on fire. And in the end, um, some of their champion players got them over the line, and they went on to on to win the premiership. And the next year, the same thing, you know, similar things sort of happened. So we'd been yeah, two years in a row. We got beaten by the eventual premiers in pretty close prelim finals. And the younger guys then, whilst you know, it hurt, and we looked at them as missed opportunities. You hear it a lot, don't you, that as a young guy, you think, oh, well, that's okay, it'll come. Yeah. Our time's coming. You look back now and you realise, um, you know, that you really should. we really should have hurted more, been hurting more for the Harvey, Harvey's and Gehrig's and Thompsons and Hamill's and those sort of types. Um, and you realise that with the missed opportunities there's a more senior player down the track. So, um, yeah, they're all... Looking back now, they're all missed opportunities, unfortunately. And I heard someone else say recently too that, you know, although I was lucky to to, um, to win a premiership, really more often than not you think about the missed opportunities.
2: From a personal point of view, was the middle of that decade your Zenith, All-Australian captain of the club, one of the most highly regarded players in the game, was that the personal period that you thought that your output was the best of your career?
0: Yeah, probably what, yeah, Yeah, there's probably two parts to it. Yeah, I think there. But that that early part, yeah, oh four oh five, and the game was a bit different. There was minimal rotations. A lot of were just one on one contests all over the field. Um, You know, who can who can outlast their opponent in a sense. And think of the Swans through that period as well. Mm. You know, they championed that sort of footy, didn't they? I uh, but the lines and, and you know, I was a pretty skinny kid coming in. Kid who, funnily enough, used to rely on my speed and agility coming in. You know, coming in, playing against those sort of teams, you realised you did have to put on a bit of size or you were just going to get ragdolled a bit. And so I did that over those sort of two or three years, probably at the, the expense, well, definitely at the expense of, of some of that agility and speed and and started playing a slightly different game. You know, I was, was a lot heavier through that period. And, um, yeah, I think those two years, four or five, yeah, personally were, were, were good years. Again, the trade-off to that was I, I you know, I started to um, struggle from a body point of view coming out of those years, 06, 07, 08, were probably down years, or they were down years in terms of struggling physically. And then, yeah, then sort of had, a, I guess, probably a, a second um, phase of, of my career coming when I made the move to, to Collingwood and had to sort of, changed change the way I trained and played a bit as well. Let's
2: go back just before that to 2009. We said it was so close in 2004. Well, it was closer in 2009 yeah. because you got to the big one. What are your memories of that day? It was a slog. It was a a physical, brutal, scrappy contest, but it was brilliant to watch.
0: Yeah, we were talking off air, weren't we? Just just two great teams. Yeah. Um, and it's cold comfort for, for Saints players at that time and fans, but in a sense, unlucky that you know that we were in the same era era together. I mean, two great teams, great players all over the park. I'm talking about Geelong, of course, and you know, experience all over the field. And um, in the end, it was going to come down to a bit of luck and and who took their opportunities. And I I don't uh, spend much time thinking about uh, the, the missed opportunities, those sort of days, because um, it keeps you up at night. Mm. But um, yeah, I'm yeah, you know, obviously it was a a, a great, a great game, a great contest. It was a bit wet, wasn't it? So it was yeah. always going to be low scoring, and, and then just all those little moments that that matter across the game. And um, we didn't take our opportunities in the first half. You know, probably should have been further ahead, left the door open a bit. And and the great team that they were, they they took their opportunities late, and and you know had their noses in front at the end. So you think so much more about the missed opportunities. Now, in hindsight, than the ones that you were lucky to take.
2: Did you think that that would be the last time that you would wear red along with black and white?
0: Yeah, it's a good guy, I, I, and I've been asked that question. Sitting there, absolutely not. Yeah, in the moment, and and then even you know, and it all happens pretty quick at that time of year. You know, in terms of the, the trade period and stuff, and and it was a as I said, yeah, it was a it was a rough or um, well, really tough decision to make because you. When you start, and and I'd you know it's such cl- close friendships, relationships with the guys you start with, and work hard with, and you know especially at a club that hadn't had much success, when you when you're so committed to to trying to deliver them the success, um, both from your point of view, but also from the club and the supporters' point of view, with such a success-starved club, you don't want to think too much about maybe what's best for you to go and have a to go and start afresh somewhere else you know my manager and other people around me who drove that in a sense if that makes sense it wasn't you know they they knew me very well and watched me for a while and and they could see that that it was going to be the best thing for me it took a lot of a lot of convincing from my point of view so to answer your original your initial question no I wasn't thinking that at the time as in the preceding weeks or so when you step back and think about you know your career and start to think about yourself a bit more that's when it came to that's when it started to sort of materialize a bit
2: one last supplementary question about the time boy obviously you had great mates at St Kilda a lot of people very close to you Mm. was any of that strained by the decision that you made
0: yeah it was yeah certainly uh, certainly initially um uh, and as time goes on that uh, that that sort of heals heals a bit I think um uh, you know, I think actually after this I'm going to have lunch with you know, every Friday of the prelim final week the, the Saints boys get together to have a lunch. Um, and it's great. It is it's it's you know, the the best things about footy, regardless of, of what level of success you had when you get back together with, with the mates that you trained with, um, played with, lived with, you know, for for so long. It's it's the best part of it. But it did, yeah, it was it was tough and and that was the hardest bit. Um obviously the hardest part of the decision. And and you know even early on there I, you know on a daily basis you'd wrestle with whether you'd made the right decision um, and I reckon it took you know a couple of people who who I um, who were mentors and, and respected and looked up to to say there's no point in, in thinking about that anymore you've made the decision It's you've, you've got to just surge ahead. it's got to be full steam ahead otherwise you'll you'll never um, you'll never be able to sort of deal with it and get through it and, and and I still, I still, um, you know, it doesn't. I wouldn't say weekly, but you know, probably monthly. Every now and then, have a have a, have a night where I toss and turn and think about it. Honestly, right. um, uh, you know, whether whether what would have happened if you had have stayed and and you know, um, kept going with that group. You know, on the one hand, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to to play at a, a new club, make some great meet some great people and and make some great friends at at the new club Um, versus, you know, even when you speak about Danny Frawley versus um, that feeling of being that one club player and, and, you know, I'm close with um, a lot of those guys still and, you know, Nick Rewalt, you know, being that one club sort of champion player. um, That's what you give up. So there there was um, pros and cons to it. But, yeah, as I said, if, if you'd... If you wrestle with it too much, you, you'll never get on with your life. And, and um, you know, I've got plenty of other things to distract me now at, at home.
2: Yes, and uh, a lot of little things that keep you busy. But it was a big thing at the time. Yeah, and true. who would have thought that the script would be written the way it was? We'll talk about that yeah. when we come back on the other side of the break. For all things to happen, to leave the football club and then to be fronting them, in the grand final in the next year. We'll explore that when we come back with Luke Ball on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: What a great chat it has been so far with Luke Ball. I'm sure it's going to continue on This Is Your Sporting Life at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Ball, he spoke about the move. When you got to Collingwood, did you feel as though you were embraced with open arms? Because, of course, you might have been a stranger to the football club in some ways, but everybody knew of you and your football prowess.
0: Yeah, they were great. They were fantastic. The day after, I had to go through to the national draft, of course. You know, that that was interesting in itself. But Mm. the day after that, I was on the plane over to Arizona to join... To join the team on their altitude training camps, so that was that was great because it just threw me straight in the deep end, and I was joining a, a, a pretty well established group. That was the other thing. So I was under no illusions that I wasn't I wasn't walking into a, a spot in the team or to any sort of favours or anything like that. But um, you know, Mick initially was was great, um, and then I remember rooming with the captain with Maxie, who I knew a bit. You know, I was a similar age to him, and. um our paths had crossed all the way through, so um yeah that that was that was great to spend that weekend a bit over there um getting to know a few of them in another country out of your comfort zone a bit um that was that was a good start to it, and then you know I think one thing that that club is great at is 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 and I'm sure all clubs are, but you know such a big club is is welcoming you in and making you feel a you know a part of uh, a part of the fabric pretty early on.
2: the one thing that does happen when you cross clubs is you come across blokes who've been waking you behind the ear for five or six years, and then all of a sudden you're lining up with them, yeah, who was the bloke who used to give you grief out on the field and all of a sudden you're in the locker room with him?
0: yeah, I mean we'd played. Collingwood in a qualifying final, I think, the year before, and so yeah, we, you know, as I said, they were a really well-established team with, you know, in particular in the middle of the ground, there they clearly had some, some superstars. So I was, I was happy not to have to chase, you know, Swan and Pendleby around a bit. You know, they played on, played on, you know, a variety of those sort of guys. Um, not sure any of them used to really sort of you know, whack me behind play or anything like that, or verbals too much. I think when you know, coming from a pretty strong team who who probably used to have the Saints had the wood on the pies, I think, through that period, um, there wouldn't have been a heap of, uh, of sort of verbal stuff going on. I think the Rat Pack were pretty good. You know, the Didak Thomas, mm. Shaw crew were pretty good on the lip. So yeah, at least I, was, I wasn't I was going to be on the end of anything from that, from that sort of crew now that I was playing with them.
2: I'd love to explore the totality of the 2010 season, but we haven't got time. Yep. So it comes down to two games. Yeah. The first grand final. It's a tight one. Let's fast forward to the last quarter. Yep. You're on the bench.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I'd uh, I I'd badly I I'd had a badly cramped hamstring slash strain the week before against Geelong in the prelim final. Halfway through the second quarter, I was in some doubt the week that week actually to come up. I, I, I spent you know a lot of the week out in the, the hyperbaric chamber. You know, it was not ideal, and I, and I was a habit sort of player as well, so I didn't like when my week was interrupted too much, uh, let alone. Playing against my old team, I mean give me any other team you know except you know except the saints of course coming up against them, so all the things that you would think about telling someone in that situation I was told but but didn't heed, and it was you know just natural i had played the game out. i not the, just the game I played the parade out in my head, and I played accordingly i was I was terrible you know i i was a really poor contributor um on the day, so you know it would have been a weird feeling either way. Um so sorry by the last quarter um you know i was I was a bit tight in that hamstring, so I was I was on the bench for a fair bit of it and, and certainly that last five minutes you know it wasn't going to be much good to us, so I do remember that sitting on the bench, you know trying watching the game and on you know on the edge of your seat as everyone else was it was was so so amazingly tense and tight, um, but in the back of my mind, just picturing the the back page of the paper the next day, either way, you know if the Saints had got up. You know, with there being been a little inset of me crying on the bench again in the corner or or if, you know, the pies had got up, you know, not really feeling like I could, I'd contributed much anyway. So being a little bit hollow, but, you know, there, was a, there seemed to be a bit of confusion with players out there, but I knew what the case was. So in the sense, I was pretty quickly moving on more so than anyone else to, to next week.
2: The perception is, and if you look at some of the documentaries around that, the Saints boys almost knew that they were shot. And Collingwood knew that they had them. Was that the feeling?
0: Pretty early on, yeah. We, we yeah, It started that night. You know, We'd obviously had the dinner planned, the, the post-grand final dinner regardless of the result planned. So I know there was a lot of scurrying around behind the scenes between Eddie and Mick and, and Walshy and a few others as to whether that goes ahead or not. You had know, this 1,000, 1,500 um, uh, seat um, function sitting there ready to go. Would we pull a pin on oh, The decision was made to go along. It was weird. It was a weird feeling. But looking back, um, well, you know, I think there were some, some really great examples of leadership. And Eddie got up and said, oh, well, it's halftime. You know, we'll be back next week to play the second half. And that probably set the tone for that week.
2: You say you had a substandard one in the first one. You didn't in the second one. You had really good numbers. You had a good day. Everybody in the black and white had a good day that day. Yeah. You, you play football, Borley, to win premierships. But, in that circumstance, was it almost bittersweet those two hours
0: yeah, it was yeah, it was it was it was twelve months before i I was standing alongside those those guys in saints jumpers heartbroken at, at missing an opportunity, having had such a great first year at Collingwood been so thankful to everyone there um that elation when the siren went was um subdued a bit or um not overshadowed, but but it was mixed with just the the understanding of the heartbreak that that um, that was inflicted upon the guys who I'd who I'd played so much footy with and, and had such respect for. So there was there was no other way to you know that, that was they were my genuine feelings and um, and you know over the, obviously over the the coming hours and days. When you're when you're sitting around and and, um, and thinking about what you've what you've what that team had had collectively ach- collectively achieved, the the excitement was there then, and the and the satisfaction was there then. But just for that for that period of time, I, I didn't feel like um, jumping for joy. Just
2: before we take our final break, was there one moment out on the ground where one of your mates from the Saints came up to you, one exchange, one thing that was said that was particularly poignant or sticks in your mind to this day?
0: After the game. Yeah. Played on Lenny, Lenny Hayes, and, you know, what a... Again, in my mind, these guys deserve deserved the ultimate as well. You know, what what do you say in that situation? I think in the end I just said, I've got, you know, I love you blokes and you got, I've got so much respect for you. And I think that was reciprocated, which, which, was, which was great and meant a lot.
2: We're just about out of time. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll find out how it all caught up with you. It all came to an end. All of the battles that you'd had with your body over the years eventually took their toll and that story's still ahead with Luke Ball my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives our final segment with Paulie coming up after the break
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives
2: our final segment with the great Luke Ball on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lies, Ball, he was spoken about the fact that even at the Saints, even in the mid-2000s, you were struggling a bit with your body at various times and eventually it caught up. But when it did, was the decision made for you or did you make the decision?
0: Ultimately, I made the decision. Yeah, I could see... Yeah, I'd been, I'd been around for long enough and I could just see the way the, way the club was going... You know, it's interesting now. On the other side of it, is you know working with working sort of in the coaching department. Just how hard it is to you know to have that discussion with the player, I think, and and to be you know really brutally honest about about that. Uh, I mean, I was only thirty at the time, so in my mind, I I remember saying at the time, up in my mind, I wasn't ready to to stop. I, I hadn't I had competitive juice left still in me, but it was going to be tougher.
2: Which is easier said than yeah, done, because is. your only job at yep. that stage, yep. essentially, had been playing football at the top level.
0: And it, there is a finality around it. Yeah, I mm. mean, one day you're you're there, and then the next day you, you, you're cleaning out your locker and you're out into the you know the real world, as people say. It is the best job you can possibly do and imagine. You know, it's tough, it's it's brutal, but it is it's so so rewarding. And again, for that for a period of time and. And even now, every now and then you toss and turn and think, "Oh God, could I've just had one more you know stuck around or, or dug my heels in a bit or even just tried to try to go somewhere somewhere else for a year or so, and maybe I could have the reality was I probably needed surgery in my back, I think at that stage to be able to to be able to keep going that's significant i think and and that helped um, lead the the end decision
2: when you have those sleepless nights and you try to close your eyes. Two hundred and twenty odd games. So many wonderful moments of premiership. But that kick in the twenty eleven prelim final. Does that spring to mind a bit?
0: Uh, as clubs do on uh, on their social media platforms to to stir up a bit of a bit of excitement in their fans. I think someone had, someone tagged me in a you know favourite prelim final movement moment for the for the pies. And yeah, I mean that was a, that was a. Clearly, a, a great little moment personally to be in the right spot at the right time there, and and uh, and, and you know, kick the goal that uh, that put us back in front that night.
2: One final question, Warley. You're sitting at the right hand of Woosha, um, getting involved in the coaching situation? Do you see yourself in the big chair one day? Is that something that you would like to achieve?
0: I love I love the development side of coaching at the moment. Um, I'm, I feel like I am getting I am really fortunate. I am getting a, learning a lot from Wusher from and, and others and, and working closely with Dan Richardson as well is the, the GM of footy. I'm not 100% sure what I want to do yet, but I feel like I'm getting a, a little bit of a grounding in both sort of coaching and then the, the sort of the more footy management side of things. At the start of this year, I probably would have said, no, I'd probably more more prefer to head towards that sort of footy management side of things. But when you're back inside a club and you're working with young, driven players and you, you're talking to them and you, you're relaying some of the things that that, that you did that you would have done better and you see growth in in young players who are as I said hungry and driven to to achieve at the elite level there's something uh intoxicating and um, and in special about that so wouldn't rule it out the other thing we've seen obviously this year is is the brutal side of, of being yeah. a senior coach so you want to do a reasonable apprenticeship you want to have some pretty strong armor I reckon uh, around you because we've seen that that uh, that it is pretty brutal.
2: It's been a brilliant journey from that young fella in the under 9s who was so nervous that he couldn't get out of yeah, the car. Yeah, yeah, could have been. <laughs> little fella who wore 23 out to Waverley in the yeah. brown and gold and then all the way to a premiership. Um, thanks for sharing your story. The one thing about you, I think, in the football community is that you earned the admiration of everybody, not only because of the way you played the game, but because of the bloke that you are. Thanks for joining us.
0: Ah, oh, Thanks, Pete. No, I'm honoured to, uh, to be invited in.
2: Luke Ball joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers funeral, Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed the chat and we'll have another one same time next week. Hope you can join us then.
0: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.